it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 59. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer some reader questions. He's gotten some emails and we wanted to go take a moment and read through those. We're going to read some stories and we're also going to answer some questions. So I'm going to go ahead and start us off. So the first one I'm going to read is from Anthony. Uh, the letter is, starts with, Andrew, I just wanted to express my gratitude for what you and Dave are doing with your podcast. One of the things you both preach frequently is patience and resisting the fear of missing out. This recently saved me a decent amount of money. There was a stock that I really liked because it was selling at a bargain. I mean, this stock looked great. I invested once a month in research during the time in between. About two weeks before I would normally make a purchase, I noticed the price kept going up and going up. I felt like I needed to buy in now or else I would lose potential gains. It took all of my willpower to just hold off and wait until the month was up before buying in. I'm sure you can guess what happened next. It went back down to its original price the next week. Then it went down a little further. By the time I bought it, it was actually spent less than it would have been if I had bought it a month prior. This just goes to show how little things like having a little patience can help you in your financial success. 
thank you for your time and hard work you put in. Your effort is truly helping others towards achieving financial freedom. Thank you, Anthony. Well, Anthony, you're welcome. Glad you are finding some value in what we're doing. That's what we're here for is to try to help you guys. Andrew, thoughts? That's perfect. That's we're we're gonna start the show on the peak and it's just gonna all go downhill from here. <laughs> awesome. All right, now that we've pat ourselves on the back, let's actually help some people. Uh okay. here's two questions from Josh. Um, both good questions, so we'll tackle them one at a time. Hi, Andrew. You talk about dollar cost averaging and its importance. However, uh, how do you distribute across your portfolio? All into a single position or spread out across multiple? How much is too much to put into an individual stock? I have $5,000. Putting $1,000 into five stocks makes sense. However, is there a weighting to placing more dollars into one position versus another? Can you invest too heavily or not enough into a single position while neglecting other positions? Several questions sort of saying the same thing. Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Josh. So I guess my thought on what Josh's question is, is equal weighting to start would probably be a great thing to start with. That's kind of how I do it. But then as you find more information about the companies, you can adjust that as you go along and get more comfortable with how you're investing. Uh, There's never really going to be a right or wrong answer. This is really going to be more depending on what you're comfortable with and how much volatility each of these particular stocks are going to have and how much you can stomach investing into a, a company that is, air quotes, losing money or is going down in price. Maybe not losing money is the best way, but maybe the stock market is punishing the stock and you still think it's a great position, then then that's when your strength of conviction of what you're doing is going to come into play. So that's really kind of how I would look at it. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. And you know, you're kind of alluding to the idea where it's going to change as time goes on. So something that investors are going to have to think about, especially when you're first starting out is how much are you planning to dollar cost average into, you know, uh, in this example, Josh is talking about having $5,000. Well, if you're going to put a thousand dollars in every month, does it really make sense to, to put, to divide that 5,000 into five different stocks that, you know, that might, that might make you feel a little bit easier uh, a little bit more peace of mind, but let's say you're doing five thousand every month. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, it doesn't make sense whatsoever. Uh, if you're looking at really small amounts, then you probably want to diversify into maybe like ten stocks instead of five. You know, if you're only able to put a hundred bucks a month in, uh, it's going to take you at that rate. It would take you fifty months to get up to five thousand dollars. So you're going to want to prioritize that five, that original five thousand. And definitely kind of make that into more of a balanced portfolio rather than if if the percentages are a little bit different and you're going to see the portfolio kind of catch up through dollar cost averaging in like a year or two. So that's kind of how I would look at it. Look at what, what, what kind of a time period is coming up in the future. What kind of dollar cost averaging numbers are you anticipating? Is it going to be a significant amount or not? And then use that decision to figure out how you're going to do the the diversification and the size positioning and the weighting. Like Dave said, you know, it's not going to be perfect balance. 
Um, and especially as you dollar cost average, those percentages are going to be moving all the time. So don't try to get like a perfect 25, 25, 25, 25 waiting all the time, or don't try to get like a five, 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 five all the way across. Just keep, keep things generally reasonable. And I mean, that's how I do it. And that's probably how I'd recommend a lot of other people do it too. So the second part to that question, uh, he says, Hey, Andrew, interesting article. Um, so he linked me up this article from a guy named Kamwal Sarai. Sarai. Uh, basically, the summary of it is, as Josh writes, the point of reinvesting a dividend in the form of a drip is countered in the article by stating that you, the individual, may be reinvesting those dividends at over market price. Better said, not at the undervalued price. The article is certainly written from the perspective of it by my course, but interesting point. Is the stock worth reinvesting the dividend? Not sure if this would be a topic or a talking point to bring up in the future podcast or email. So basically what I gathered from that is talking about like the downsides of using drip and using drip for like an individual stock. So let's say you have a business, right? That's doing super, super well. Take one of the top businesses that we've seen and it's, pumping out dividends, growing dividends, all the, all those nice things. The argument is, well, if it's if the stock is re- up really, really high, then that means the dividends you're reinvesting are essentially buying that stock at really high valuations. So I guess the idea is, well, wouldn't it be better to take those dividends and funnel them into like a cheaper stock so you're getting more of a deal sort of a thing you're you're investing with more of a margin of safety. And you know, I I see the argument behind that. Uh but I'm kind of firmly in the camp of drip and using that a especially when you're talking about smaller portfolio sizes, there's no transaction fee for using a drip. So let's say you have 100 shares and you're going to re- reinvest 3, right? They're not going to charge you a 4.95 transaction fee to get those extra three shares reinvested and bought. They're just going to add them to your share count, whether that's whole shares, whether that's partial shares. That's what your broker is going to do, and so that really helps, especially the smaller your portfolio is. The second thing is, in my opinion, like the big the big idea between buying with a margin of safety is you want to do that initially. But kind of where there's a disconnect is I I feel like some people just get too cute where they want to just pick up that margin of safety and then they want to move on and go to to another stock. But what we have to remember is that we're looking at ownership of a business. Let's say you're an angel investor or an entrepreneur and you buy five separate businesses in five separate places of the town and you have one of them take off. Does it does it make sense to have that hot business and sell it to, so you can buy five more stinkers and, and hope one of those takes off? I mean, the whole point of buying with a margin of safety is that the idea is you're getting that discount to intrinsic value and the market will eventually bring the market price to that intrinsic value and you'll get a nice, decent little profit. But you also have to consider that sometimes the businesses will go above and beyond where you initially calculated that intrinsic value. And that's kind of the nature of kind of the the nature of the beast in a way where if the stock price is going up, it's going to be going up for good reason. 
And that's usually because the business is doing well. So the way I see it is if you're going to be reinvesting those dividends, why not be able to pick up high, you know, more amounts of shares, even though you won't be able to get as many shares as you would in some other stock that isn't doing as well or has a better discount to intrinsic value. But you already put the, the big bulk of your investment in this one stock. And now that it's growing, now that it's winning, just let it continue to compound and you know, let that hot streak kind of continue and, and just ride it for as long as you can. Like Buffett says, the ideal holding period is forever. So if we can, you know, if you buy a stock that's trading at a discount and it's cheap and then it becomes like expensive, well, I mean, it doesn't hurt you that it's expensive because you're not buying it now when it's expensive. You bought it when it's cheap. So no matter how expensive it gets, it's not hurting you. Even if, like I said, even though if, if you're getting you're getting more shares from the dividend, you're still you're still participating in this hot streak. You're still getting more shares, even if it's not as high of a percentage, but you're you're still benefiting enough where I think if you get too cute and try to kind of play with your dividends and find different stocks in the, in those type of ways. I think it's just a not worth it. Be a lot, kind of a waste of time, and see you could you could feel bad if if you look back twenty years later and you you plug into some calculator and you see the difference if you would have reinvested the dividends in this hot stock. You know, if these stocks are hot, these businesses are strong. They're going to have strong competitive moats. They're going to be dominating their industry. Just keep the gravy train rolling and just be happy you got in when it was low, and then let the more expensive shares accumulate, you'll still make plenty of money. And I think that's the way that I like to look at drip. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending budgets and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. I agree with you 100%. And I think the the great thing about drips for me is that it's it's easy money. You don't have to work for it. It's passive. You know, it's the company is paying you to invest in the company. And I think one of the things that people sometimes get bogged down with is they're in a hurry. Our our society is in a hurry. We're a fast food generation. You know, we want everything fast now done. And what Andrew and I are talking about, this process that we're looking at, it's slow and it takes time to do it. And it's not going to happen overnight. And if you're in a rush to try to get out and get out the hot new stock all the time, that's just going to eat into what you're trying to do. And what we're trying to do here is we're trying to find businesses, great businesses, not stocks, great businesses that will make money. And when they make money, they pay us in the form of a dividend and the share price increasing. And I just want to share a a quick story that's been kind of going around a little bit recently. Jeff Bezos was talking to Warren Buffett uh, a little bit ago, and he was to kind of paraphrase the the quote. He was asking Buffett why, you know, he has such a great simple investment philosophy. Why aren't more people following his advice? And Buffett's response to that was because people are in a hurry to to make money. They're not. They don't have the patience to do what I do. And that's really, to me, what drips are all about. It's all about patience because, as Andrew was saying, with the compounding effect, that is just so massively huge. And we can't understand, understate how strong a process that is. And if you just stick to the plan and go with what you're doing, you will be wealthy. It will happen. Just the power of compounding is so immense. It's one of the strongest forces out there. And I just can't encourage you enough to buy dividend stocks that drip and drip and drip and drip. And I know dripping is boring, but hey, it's going to make you a lot of money in the, in the long run. So that's really kind of my thoughts. Yeah, I love it. That's a great quote. Buffett has such a way of saying it so bluntly and, mm-hmm. and being so honest, but having so much truth behind those statements. I loved it. Yeah, exactly. All right, next question up. Hey, Andrew, let me first say I love the e-letter and love the podcast also. I am from Canada, so things are a little different up here. I just had a question regarding drip. I automatically set up my stocks and accounts to drip, but I've been seeing dividend payments showing up on my accounts. So I emailed Questrade and asked them about this. They told me that they can only repurchase company stocks if my holdings equal enough to buy one stock at the current price. Is that right? In that case, I would need say 50 holding of a particular stomach before the drip was applied. That doesn't seem right to me. I'm wondering if you have any information for me. Also, I realize you're a busy guy and appreciate any response. Thank you so much, Leah. 
Okay, so <laughs> I think she meant to say uh, holdings of a particular stock, not stomach. That's yeah, probably that's probably yeah. a mobile autocorrect. But yeah, so sure. it's funny, you know, we're having to answer this after just going on a huge rant about how Drip's so much better than not using Drip. However, this is a big problem for Canadian um, discount brokers. I reached out to Braden. Braden, we have had on the podcast twice now. He was on episode two and on the more recent one about international and Canadian stuff. He he did the the interview we did on the Fang stocks, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. So, you know, if if you're kind of looking for, he's kind of like our resident Canada expert. So I reached out to him about this question, and I wanted to ask him about, you know, what his opinion was and, and kind of how can how Canadians can solve it. So Braden said, uh, of course, as a Canadian investor, I remember how Leia is feeling right now with the moment of disappointment when I realized that all Canadian discount brokerages don't drip partial shares. The distribution from the holding has to be enough to yield another full share. So he says his approach is to take all cash dividends he receives into a pool of money that adds a nice boost to his next contribution contribution or rebalance. He says he's grown to appreciate the concept of receiving coal hard cash in his portfolio every month or quarter, depending on the distribution frequency of a given holding. Uh, this is why he suspects some Canadian REITs have been doing 20 to 1 stock splits to reduce the share price enough for monthly distributions to drip for shareholders. At the end of the day, Partial share drips would be ideal, but Leia is still benefiting from the beauty of compound interest on her next contribution. So, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And like we said earlier, it's not going to be ideal, but I think that's the best alternative if you're using a Canadian discount broker. So definitely check out what Brandon's doing with his podcast at stratosphereinvesting.com. Thanks, Brandon, for giving us that info. And that's something to consider. If you have a discount broker that's not letting you drip full shares, I know I haven't heard of that happening with any of the U.S. brokers, but unfortunately, that's something with Canada, and I'm not sure about other places in in the world. So, just keep that in mind for everybody else. Hey, you! What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Next question comes from Adam. He says, hi, Andrew. I'm quite new to investing. So first off, I want to say thanks for the podcast, YouTube videos, and writing. It's made digesting everything a lot more palatable. I'm I'm interested in purchasing your VTI spreadsheet, but I wanted to ask if there are any updates or changes made to the spreadsheet, if the updated version will be made available to pre-existing customers. Your recent podcast about the new GAAP for marketable securities, as well as what I've been hearing about AT&T's most recently quarterly report being messy due to the accounting changes had me wondering if there would be a shift down the road and how companies are evaluated using your metrics. Thanks again for everything, Adam. So I will say, first off, uh, I do update the VTI spreadsheet pretty often. And anytime I ever do an update on there, I'm always sending it out as a free email for anybody who's already purchased a spreadsheet. So those updates happen automatically and for free. Uh, in the past, I've done updates like adding formatting or if there's 
like a minute detail, for example, um, I think I had a case where if there were two years of negative earnings, it would it would kind of mess with the growth numbers uh, on one of the calculations of growth. So just kind of a little minor math stuff that where you see like a special case that might screw up the calculations. So I've had to do stuff like that. I see one that I'm, I'm going to have to update on the next update. So I'm anticipating that happening uh, sometime May or June. And in addition to some of those other updates, I will be updating based on the new GAAP rules. I'm going to add, you know, I haven't fully decided to what scope this is going to be, but the most likely thing is it's just going to calculate an adjusted PE. So, you know, we talked in, in one of the old episodes about the unrealized gains for marketable securities and how they were going to affect net earnings. So the PE that I'm going to use to calculate the value chart indicator is going to be different from the PE that everybody else is using. Again, this is only relevant for those few financial industry stocks that have a lot of marketable securities in their portfolio. Uh, Companies like Berkshire Hathaway that Buffett has and, and a few others. The majority of stocks in the stock market aren't going to be affected by this, but I will have an adjustment for earnings. And so it probably will add a row. So people who are filling out the VTI, they're going to have to add one more metric that's going to adjust the net earnings and make sure that a more accurate picture of earnings is being calculated by the value chart indicator. But, you know, that's going to keep everything else pretty much the same. It's, it's, it shouldn't change hardly anything for most companies. And for the ones it does, it's going to change it for the better because then the calculations based on what their true earnings are and not what the earnings are based on this weird new accounting rule. Uh, as far as the whole AT&T thing with their quarterly report being messy, uh, what happened there was um, certain industries are changing the way that they're reporting revenue. I understand like hearing all these accounting changes uh, can be quite discouraging, especially if you're first starting out. But I'll just say, you know, I've been investing since 2013, 2012, actually. I've never heard of one accounting change like this for GAAP, let alone like two. So this is definitely like a weird year for accounting. And I think some of it has to do with some of the new tax laws and all that kind of stuff. So Basically, they're trying to standardize the way that they're reporting revenue and make it more transparent and more consistent across industries. So what might change is like the timing or, or the the exact numbers behind what year has what revenue numbers. But as far as like the total revenue numbers go, it shouldn't make a difference. If it does, then it's just actually reporting a more accurate number. And that shouldn't affect investors either. If anything, it should be better because it's giving us a better picture of what, what's actually going on in the business. So that doesn't, again, that doesn't change any of the metrics that I have to calculate. We're always going to want to know what a company is bringing in as far as their revenue and their sales. And then you always want to know how much of those sales that they're going to have to pay out in expenses to run the business. And then you always want to know how much their profits are. So those things are always going to be true no matter what they do with the accounting. And the whole, the whole reason for accounting and the whole goal of accounting is for businesses to be able to share that information of how they're running that business and, and let us understand that. So, you know, don't take that too hard. Don't get discouraged if if you're get, if you're new to this. If you're new to the whole accounting thing, 
just understand those simple concepts will always be there. And I don't anticipate much change at all as far as how it affects how Wall Street views stocks. Certainly not for the the revenue stuff. The earnings might change some things and make some of those stocks that are in the financial industry move more with the market as the market goes down, their earnings will go down and it's it's gonna be like a feedback loop. But other than that, you know, just we're gonna try to always get accurate representations of what's really going on with the business as time goes on. I think adjusting for the earnings so that it's on the old way of calculating rather than this new way is going to help with that. And I think just considering revenue as revenue like it's always been is also a good a good way to move forward. All right. So the last email we got. We're going to read through here and Andrew and I will talk a little bit about it. So, hi, Andrew. Like most of your listeners, I'm new to the investing world. I'm finding your podcast with Dave incredibly valuable and joy listening to. Keep up the good work. Like your other listeners, I have a few questions. You have answered one question in our previous email. Thanks. I wasn't sure I'd get a reply. I've been pouring through the recommended books, looking at listening to different opinions and receiving emails from other investors. With a little education, it's becoming clear that there is a lot of misinformation and speculation out there. There are a number of sources pumping up the likes of Tesla, etc. Now that I'm able to better understand the financials, I'm not touching businesses like these with a large pole. They are failing at basics. Thanks for the education. I can now ask the correct questions. I'm still playing with the VTI and I've made a few mistakes, mostly using the incorrect figures. Seems not each company uses the same terminology to describe the same thing. I believe you mentioned that in one of your podcasts. However, the VTI seems to highlight that quickly as the VTI score looks way off. I have two questions. Question one. Dave and yourself have mentioned you would never purchase a company based just on the VTI score. It's an indicator that highlights one should investigate a company further. I have found a few companies with a low VTI score based on one-year data. So I went digging, reading up on what the company does, who are the competitors, etc. I have also back-texted the financials for the previous five years. I found the VTI to be good for all years bar one. In one year, they had negative earnings. Based on the philosophy I'm now following, I would have sold that company if I had owned it. My question is, if the VTI shows a strong sell in any previous five-year holding period, is this justification for moving on, or should I still consider the company based on the justification for the result? Question number two. Seems like you have a large international following. I'm from Australia, and at this stage, I'm only looking to purchase Australian stocks. I branch out as my confidence grows. Is there any way to pool the collective efforts of your listeners from around the world? Let's say I run a VTI on a company A, and I find out that it has or has not got merit. I could post that information on a site filtered by country. Other like-minded listeners could then see those results and review themselves. Listeners could point out mistakes, add comments, etc. Thanks for all your efforts thus far and keep up the great work, which is taught as a subject at school, which this was wish this was taught as a subject at school. Like Dave, I am beginning to teach my kids the seventh wonder of the world. Regards, John H. All right. I love this question. I love all the questions we got today. There are um, a lot of thought put in them, and you can tell people really are starting to understand the stuff we're teaching. So I would say, you know, it depends. 
I agree with the idea that if a company has negative earnings, I'm going to sell that right away. That's 100% what I do. And that's one of those where I'm completely black and white, black and white about it. If it happens, done, period. No other, no other thoughts or explanations. However, when we're talking about what you're talking about here, John, talking about um, if they had negative earnings in the previous five years, I don't like to see that. I obviously would like to see a very smooth operating history. And a lot of times I tend to ignore stocks that have recent negative earnings. But, you know, it's not one of those hard and fast black and white rules for me. If other things in the business are showing me that things are great, if, um, you know, if there's a case where that was like a one-time event, um, some of those type of things, then that's, that's where I would probably make an exception. And obviously the VTI score is all right. Well, that's, that's a good indicator out on its own. The only thing I would say, um, is that depending on what year that the company had negative earnings, that's going to skew the growth. So let's say a company had negative earnings in 2015. If you try to calculate what the growth was from 2015 to 2016, you're going to get, you can't calculate it because you can't calculate growth from a negative number. It's just, trust me, try to do the math. It, it's not possible. Um, so, you know, keep that in mind that some of the growth is going to be off and make sure that when you're evaluating the other merits of the business, that you're doing so not thinking about that particular growth measure. And for the second part, um, I really think that's a fantastic idea. I'm trying to think if there's a way we can kind of see how much inf- like how much interest there would be in something like that. Because like you said, I know there's a lot of followers from Canada, uh, have some from the UK, India, Australia. Um, I don't know, Dave, you have any ideas? <laughs> Facebook page? Yeah. Okay. Just have them post on the Facebook page and we could, we could create a Facebook page that listeners could go and it could be kind of a forum kind of thing where people could talk about different companies back and forth and kind of get an idea of like what John is talking about. If he's found a great company, he throws it out there for other people to kind of, in essence, you know, uh, pick apart, you know, and that's one of the things when you think about investing, you know, Charlie Munger always talks about inverting, you know, took, taking an idea and turning it upside down to try to see all angles of, of the of the investment. And this could be something that people could use to help each other with that, you know, because a lot of times this is scary to do this. And if you have other people that you can talk to, that can kind of help guide you through things. And you, you can always choose to not follow their advice. If you think somebody's, you know, crazy, <laughs> you know, obviously you don't have to follow it, but you know, it could also be a great resource to help people learn more. All right. I love, I love the idea. Uh, I'm going to make a private Facebook group and I'll send out the link. So only if you've, if you're a VTI spreadsheet client, we'll, we'll get a, a secret kind of Facebook group going and you know, we that way we can put all the VTI spreadsheets up. You guys can upload those, share them, comment on them, use them. And it could be, like you said, a cool way to pool, to pool the collective efforts. I really like that idea. 
These are all fantastic questions. Um, before we wrap up and call it a night, speaking of social media, Dave, um, I know I talked crap to you last time we recorded. I'm coming to you with my hat in my hand. <laughs> After running the Twitter poll, I said, you know, based on our debate, the backstory was we did an episode. Would you sell based on negative earnings? And uh, we did it on a company called Corning. So I said I would sell on negative earnings no matter what. Dave said it depends. And he said in the case of Corning, it looked like it was uh, like a one-off type deal. So I ran a poll on Twitter and I said, would you sell just because the stock has negative earnings for the year? And I put the options as yes, always, or it depends on the stock. And it was 100% for every single person voted that it would depend on the stock. <laughs> so looks like I'm completely alone on this. Though John, in John's email, he said he'd be on that philosophy. And the email from last week did too. So looks like we got some emailers that don't like to jump on Twitter and support. Right. But, you know, that's all right. I'll, I'll concede this, this, this first debate. Okay. Uh, Dave one, Andrew zero. <laughs> well, thank you. I humbly accept your apology. Okay. Let's not get too crazy now. <laughs> no, no. No, no. No, I like the fact that you're sticking to your guns and you're doing what you believe is the right thing to do. And I admire that. And I just have a different opinion. So that's, you know, like, you know, value investors, we all have little tweaks in how we look at things and go along and do stuff and it doesn't mean that one of us is right or wrong although appears that i am right in this case uh, <laughs> but i agree with andrew i think you know having a having a, a philosophy and sticking to it that's that's how you get where you want to go i love it, it brings a tear to my eye because it, it shows that you know everybody's listening to me but also going there it's like watching growth right it's right it's, it's really cool Yep, I totally agree. Our kids are growing up. <laughs> <laughs> I've got one of those already. I don't need any more, trust me. Yeah, well, I got I got one at home and a whole lot of work, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks, well, that is going to wrap up our session of our Q&A tonight. We had a lot of fun talking about all these questions and reading all the readers' comments. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy days to write to us. And we hope you found some value in our answers. And we certainly find a lot of value in your questions. And like Andrew said, I love the questions. You guys are so intelligent and you guys are asking such great questions. It's so awesome. I remember when I was beginning, I was not asking these good questions. So I'm really, really impressed. And thank you for taking the time to reach out to us. And we have any other questions, please feel free to reach out to us. We will help you in any way that we can. So without any further ado, Go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, and have a great week, and we will talk to you guys next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time. Have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. 
Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.